0: I'm sure you've heard the term, do as I say, not as I do. We've all used it, and some of us use it much more than others. On today's episode, we speak with Ian Waller, who is a doctoral student in sociology who studies this very thing. So we hope you join us while we discuss why our actions don't necessarily match our words.
1: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Fosky and Dr. Dana Saperstein.
0: I feel like the person with the least amount of academic credentials in the room right now. So we have a PhD, we have a soon-to-be PhD, and we have me. Um, Ian, Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being. Thanks for being here. I I always ask this for all of our guests to kind of tell us who you are, so our listeners kind of get a background as we continue on for the next sixty minutes of who you are and can kind of get a virtual picture of you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that question. Actually, it's funny because I, like you both know, I had a podcast. And I would always ask people that question and now it's being turned around on me. And every time I would ask some people, they would always be like, that's like a really hard question, you know? But I, 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 I guess I'm going to ask you wh- how much do you want? Like my, my, I can give you the academic, you know, like who am I as an academic? So, I can give you the life story, which is, could take a while. Well, if um, I had, if
0: I had, if I was meeting you for the first time and you wanted to impress me, okay,
2: <laughs> what? Well, I'll, okay, I'll say, so my my, my life has been, a, uh, I would say, um, a little bit, I would consider it a little bit different, and I would say that m- most people that know me would say, oh, yeah, Ian's had kind of an interesting life, and so, I, yeah, I'm an academic at the moment. Um, I've been in, uh, I've been, I went back to school when I was 28, um, and I have been in school ever since, and I'm about to be 39, so I, but I started my college career at 28, um, and it's kind of like, kept kind of falling upwards is kind of how I think about it, right? Like, I didn't, I went back to school to see if I could do it. I was not a very good high school student, and um, so I wanted to go back to school. I went to community college and was like, let me just see if I can do this well, and um, it turned out that I was, like, pretty decent at it, and then someone was like, you should go to, you should apply to grad school, did that. Then someone else was like, you should apply (laughs) to this other grad school and did that, Um, but like I said, you know, I went back to school at 28. So before that, um, I was in the music industry. I did music for uh, about 10 years, grad s- or s- school, and um, music kind of overlapped a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was a hip-hop artist in Seattle. That was like, I thought I was going to be a famous rapper. That was my, um, my interest, and it was very single-minded. I was like, you know, from essentially when I was like 13 um, until I was probably yeah 2728 um and suddenly something started to change and you know you started to think started to think differently and um yeah so that's kind of that's kind of the i guess that's the that's the the shortest version i mean there are a couple of nuances you know i did pretty well as a musician as a musician i toured all over the country i you know went did played shows with pretty big people i had a following of a small sort i you know those types of things were um, you know Novel, Like other people don't have those types of experiences. So
0: some of that must live online still.
2: It does. I've taken a lot of it down. You know, I think a lot of it, um, it it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't age as well as I would have liked for it to. And I also think that some of it as a, you know, I had to kind of decide like, am I going to be an academic? Whether or not I, I think that the music is, is okay. Um, what How will that be reflected when I go on the job market? Those types of things. And then some of the things that I said I was like oof it just didn't uh it doesn't sit well, well with me now as a person that's grown up you know I would like I would never have said some of the things that I said it's not horrible but I just I can even think of that some of the lines and I'm just like oof that was bad I was very um I don't know I mean I was like a I was what you would call like a backpack rapper so I was like conscious um <laughs> but even even then I you know I said you know it was like a lot of it was, it could get pretty raunchy and silly. So I took a lot of the music down, but it's some of it's still up there. Yeah, you can absolutely Google me. If you can spell it, it's Kublikai. 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 Okay.
0: So, so how does a rapper from Seattle become a doctoral student in sociology?
2: A great question. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know. I think, I think that it,
0: um... I, I get the rapping and the sociology is kind of a parallel a bit.
2: Yeah, so I actually went into, before I was soci- in sociology, I went into education. So I was, uh, I mean, and we'll kind of get into this. I have always really been interested in just how people make decisions. So how do people, why do people do what they do? I've always, like, under under it all, I've always been interested in that. Um, even in the music world, I would always be like, why would why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? I kind of always assumed that everybody had the same sort of, um, uh ideas about what music was that I did, right? We were all kind of climbing the social hierarchy, and it wasn't until I got, kind of got deep into it that I, I realized that's not necessarily the case, but, um, you know, so anyways, to an- answer your question, I kind of fell out of love uh, with it, and, but I was still interested in, um, you know, why people did what they did, right? And, and, um, and I think that, you know, if I'm being, like, completely transparent, uh, I kind of thought that I was really good at rapping, but I was not sure how smart I was. So people would tell me that I was smart, you know, and then, but there's always that kind of, I think anybody that, like you said it at the beginning, I don't want to put it on you, but like, you were like, I'm the least credentialed person here, right? One of the things that I've noticed about being in academia is that like, it's, it's not necessary. you don't, you're not necessarily a smart person if you're in academia. You know how to do a certain sort of thick tasks well, and c- often regurgitate information in a way that is pleasing to whichever teacher or authority that you have to, to please. But, um, and so I was always told that I was smart, but maybe didn't feel that I was smart. And I, so I like, I felt like I was in a good rapper. I was good at that thing and could kind of like cleverly put ideas together. But did I actually understand the things that I was saying? I was like unsure, unsure. And so, um, I think that I wanted to, to, to see for myself whether or not I could do this thing that people who say who people if people say you know you're smart because you're uh, an academic if I could do that and to what extent I could do it um and I mean to me it was really about um I mean this sounds kind of crazy now that I've been doing this for like 10 years but like there was science classes that I wanted that I like the first classes that I took when I went back to school I took you know um Uh, it's like it's I think it's biological psychology or biological I'm not sure behavioral psychology Um, it's basically an evolution class then I took a geology class I took all these classes that I thought would be really difficult and I wanted to see if I was going to do could do them if I put all of my effort into them and um, I did them and I was successful Uh, I I was really successful and I um, also really enjoyed it and so I was and that was kind of a shock to me especially as somebody that almost did not graduate from high school and um and then I just kind of kept doing, doing better. And um, I got encouraged by um, teachers and, and um, then kind of, yeah, it was, I had a, and then I had one friend. She was, uh, she was my, my high school girlfriend's best friend. And she was the valedictorian for our class. And she wa- went to Harvard and um, we stayed friends and we had coffee one day and she was like, you, you could go to grad school. And I was like, I don't even know what grad school is. I was, you know, I mean, it was that, it was that kind of naive. And, um, and then I, uh, and so she kind of showed me this, uh, this program and I was like, okay, I can, I could apply. And then I, uh, but it was a Harvard program and I didn't, have, I still didn't have that much confidence. So I was like looking for parallel programs and I found one at the university of Washington where I went to undergrad and, um, that was similar. And it was actually more kind of the, the program at Harvard called mind, brain and education. And, um, one and that it's very kind of mind-centered so it's like you kind of have to know some biopsychology to like do well in it and I wasn't uh, I I took one biopsych class I got like a 2.9 and I was like okay this is maybe all over my head and um so then I took it but the University of Washington program which is called Learning Sciences was a little bit more cultural and so I applied for that one and um got in and um and so I took that but it yeah this is the long-winded version but the um I took that. I enjoyed it. But um, the things that I was interested in studying, the the program didn't really support. And so I started reaching out to other people um, that were in the area that I was interested in. And I made a relationship with um, one of the professors here at UCSB. And, you know, he kind of became like a mentor on and off again, like I would email him about questions. And I went to see a, a him talk at, in LA when I was visiting my brother in LA um, at a time. And, you know, and then I told him I was going to be leaving University of Washington. And he said, I think you should come to come here and apply at least at the very least apply. And so I did. And I, I got in and, um, and kind of, yeah, that's that's the, that's the story. So S- is this
1: satisfying your need to understand what motivates people?
2: Man, I think, you know, it's kind of like the old adage. The more you know, the more you know, you, noth- you know, nothing. That's kind of how it feels. You know, it definitely feels like the rabbit hole. I do feel like I have a pretty, uh, I have gotten a lot of answers to to questions, but it took a long time.
1: So. Why do you think that that's one of the central forces that have driven, that drives you in your life? That curiosity about why people do what they do?
2: Um, I You know, that's a great question. I'm not. Um, I thought about it a lot this whole last week. Like what, what is it? I think it's a, I think it's, I'm not completely sure. I think that my personal, you know, like uh, perspective on life is that we kind of can't really know what, what, what drives us. Like, like even if we try to, to try to say, we know like, oh yeah, it was, it was my mom, right? Like you know, like or it's because I was uh, I was grew up in this uh, this economy or this you know culture. I'm not necessarily sure. I do think that um, I think that I've all I've just always been that way. I've always been incredibly curious about what makes people tick. Um, when someone does something, um, especially when someone does something that seems counter or yeah, seems counter to to who they are or who they claim to be, or if especially if someone does something that they have said before, right? Like then suddenly I'm like, what, how, then what, how is that the case? I think, and then I think even more so when I got older and started to watch myself do that, I was like, oh wow. So this is just like a human thing, but what does that mean? Um, yeah, what does that mean? I think it's, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, but I do think, you know, as I did think back to it, I made a joke about my, about, you know, it's my mom, but I do think it, uh, the a very great example was my mom, although I didn't ever think about it. My mom was an incredibly smart person, so she knew a lot about a, a lot of things, but, like, was very, but, but when it came to, like, practically implementing them in her own life, was very poor at doing that, so, like, I'm kind of an active person and try to eat well, even though like I have a penchant for snacks for sure. But um, my mom was very like health conscious, but she was overweight and she didn't exercise, but she would always be like, Ian, you need to do this. Ian, you need, like you need to, you should go exercise. You should have some, you should eat a salad. You should. And I'm like, But well, you're eating chocolate ice cream and I haven't seen you get out of bed in like three days. So I don't know why, you know, so that was a, and, and I think that uh, I kind of, um, I didn't think about that um, consciously as a, motivating factor until like maybe this week honestly but I but I do think that that was a I always said that I appreciate as a I appreciated um my mom's intellect and I took it seriously so that to see if it would work because like <laughs> I think that uh, like as a teen especially it's like I couldn't argue well with my mom if I at least if I didn't at least try what she said so then if I found out she was incorrect I'd be like you, that's bullshit, I tried it, you're, you're a liar, you know what I mean? And then I could fight better, right, you know?
1: You know, one of the premises that Kim and I operate from is that uh, what's real is how we feel and that we were given a brain in order to decide to do about how we feel. Mm. So that's why I ask you the question because I'm assuming that there's feeling inside of you that drives you toward your behaviors and the things that you think about and the things that matter to you. So that if you can put it in context, it's going to satisfy uh, something inside of you. Um, and you just answered the question in a certain way that, y- you know, you noticed the hypocrisy in your mother's uh, between how smart she was and what how she knew what was good and right for her. Mm-hmm. But the way she felt about herself, granted a huge assumption on my part, was really how she lived. Yeah, And that can be really confusing when you're growing up with someone who's really smart and, uh, it's, you know, you can obviously tell that what they're telling you is correct, but the way that they're living is so contrary to, um, you know, to their own best interests. Right. And if you love that person, you're going to be very confused about, you know, how they could be so right about what they're telling you, but so, um, uh, in contrast in their behavior. Uh, and that's going to, uh, you know, obviously it's something that drives you in your life is to try to figure out why. Why would there be such an inconsistency between the what comes out of a person's mouth, especially if they're really intelligent, right? And how they behave, which is a a, a reflection of how they feel.
2: Yeah, I think, it, and I think, I mean, uh, my mom is a good scapegoat. She's uh, yeah. I'm not trying to put it all on. No, her, no. On I think, head. I mean, I think it's true. Um, but I also think, I mean, I think th- that when I, you know, when I really uh, got interested in this question, um, again, although not completely conscious, was when I was I did music. And you would see, I mean, especially like the the rap world. It's a world that is, uh, you know, most people probably wouldn't see it this way necessarily. But like, it's a it's a highly norma like normative, structured, rule bound world. And so you have to act in certain sorts of ways. And um, at the time, I didn't see that. But I, um, but you, so you have to act and perform. I mean, not literally just like perform on a stage, but perform in social settings with your peers and everything in a certain sort of way. And then you, um, but then the things that you are saying, the things that you're rapping about, they may actually be uh, different than the way that you are su- you're supposed to perform. So I took that very seriously, right? Like I was thinking like, oh, I was the conscious rapper. So I was in this, uh, and so I was this in this conscious rapper social group, Right. Where we would be like, you know, talking about things that we should be doing better, right? And we should be acting in X way. And then, um, you know, I would see this, these people in the social group acting differently than what they were, were saying. And I was like, well, we're th- we are this type of rapper. Shouldn't we be acting in this type of way? And and I was uh, I was hypocritical as well. I I was doing songs about like trying to be a better, more sober person while drinking and doing all sorts of craziness, you know. But That and that was and so so it was not just everyone else but also myself and I was just always like justifying the behavior because of my at the time interest in like kind of moving up that hierarchy right right? and so I was and I remember and uh, and I remember people kind of people would act differently towards different types of rappers depending on how well they were doing. And, um, but they wouldn't say that. And I would just was like, I was like, man, so it just felt like everyone was lying. And I was like, this is, this was hard for me to, to kind of compute. Um, and so that was kind of the first time I, I really was struggling to understand that. And I found it, um, fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, ironically, I think that that's just a thing that people do in general. I remember, I like one of the reasons I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. got get all these rappers are liars, and I'm like, I'm like moving to academia where it's gonna be very pure. I tell you,
0: and that's what I was gonna mention is that it's it's the application of the intellect, right? I think we all have, we all struggle with that sometimes. I mean, we all, I shouldn't say we all are, but some of us are critical thinkers and introspective and so on and so forth, and and carry ourselves that way but sometimes we don't know how to apply that in life.
2: Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that like I mean so I think that one of the things I always um, so when I talk to some of my peers now in, in academia like I think that we talk at this very high level right as if we consciously understand the things that we are doing and I, and I, and, and, and I think, I think we're well,
0: supposed to talk in that level. You're an academic. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: Right? Fair. Yeah. I think that, and, <laughs> and I, I, when I mean the thing that I always say to, you know, it can kind of get me in trouble sometimes when I'm in a seminar or whatever, I'm like, who are we talking to, right? Who are we talking to? Are we talking to each other? Because if we're talking to each other, what our end goal is actually to do is to impress each other. Right. And I, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's what I'm interested in doing right? I mean, I kind of want to impress you because I want to get a job and I want to be, I want to uh, do well, right? Like I want, want to have income. But I also am unsure if like you are the peer group that I'm trying to impress. I'm maybe and I'll, like the, using the word impress differently. I'm trying to impress my ideas upon people that actually need them, right? So, uh, so and that might mean that I need to talk differently or talk to and find the audience, right? But I think the, what I'm trying to say is is that we always talk at this kind of high level. Um, but there is, a, there is people, there are people that um, don't think like that. So we place a certain sort of we place a certain sort of, um, we place a certain sort of uh, expectation on people that may not have the sort of privilege that we have of that higher-order understanding of things, right? And then the ironic thing to me is that even if we're talking in this higher-order like language, we still do the same sorts of things. We still don't act in accordance with the things that we say we do. So so are you talking about that
0: speech being more complex instead of just saying, just tell me what you mean?
2: Yes, yeah, 100%. I, I think that, like... Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, it's just a different type of language, right? Like y- y- there's, but I, I would say that, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of like a, a good example, but I mean, I'm, the only example that I can kind of think of is that, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use rap again, because I think it's actually a really interesting uh, example. Me and a couple of my friends, when we first got into sociology, we're talking about looking at, we had, to, you know, your first year, you have to take like all the heavy hitter thinkers, right? So in sociology, those are like, Marx, Weber, Durkheim, Simmel, these kind of, like, you you probably would know them if you heard Mm -hmm. them, but then there's Mm -hmm. these, like, kind of other ones that, you know, that only sociologists would know, and they're saying things that are, like, relatively um, common to, to, you know, like, and so we were thinking about, oh, well, there's rappers that are saying the exact same thing, right? They're like, you know, you got Kendrick Lamar and Tupac and, you know, uh, Jay-Z, they're actually saying the exact same thing that these other people They're In, in some cases, they're saying it more simply, you know, they're saying it in a three minute song, whereas, you know, capital is a thousand pages of, you know, Marx t- talking about something and he doesn't even say capitalism until the end. So it's like th- there, there's those. Um, and so, and I'm saying like those, those people don't even realize that they are doing this. It's just a lower lower is kind of a weird word but like it's just a yeah simpler um and so yeah i don't know i i I don't know if that made that
0: made total sense sense. and one of the things i wanted to come back to was that and i and i think it's probably part and parcel to what you as a rapper and why you have these interests and and i don't think we've talked about it yet was in sociology you have two major interests right in culture and deviance Mm
2: -hmm. yeah i mean i think those uh yeah, so I I would say that those have been maybe um, I shouldn't
0: put them as a parallel to rapping, but I'm sure it had some influence on why you have an interest in studying those two areas.
2: I think that I mean, so they're both uh, they're well, I'm interested in uh, the ways in which people are labeled, um, you know, like, and this is true for like larger groups as well as smaller groups. So the way in which people are labeled as like bad or wrong or, you know, like w- these labels kind of are, um, to me, they can be very, very subjective. Now in the the, the culture of deviance, like literature, like you have, um, you have uh, obviously like criminals. And so the people look at like, what are, um, what is, what does it mean to become a criminal? But I think that what I'm interested in honestly is, Kind of when you're in like a family situation. I mean, I, I, I think that, and you know, dad says oh, you can't do that. I'm interested in those kinds of interactions because I think that they carry far more weight. Now, I mean, I, I look at the literature, but so, so you have the culture of a family, for example, right? And then you have uh, and you would like, th- if you think about the family as a culture, which it is, and then you have how do the norms of that family get made, and then what happens when someone deviates, what some, what happens when someone breaks those norms, I'm actually very interested in that, but I'm interested in the larger thing, right, I can look at, you know, hip-hop as a culture, obviously, or I can look at, um, you know, in any, any culture, or uh, these days I've been, like, very interested in comic book culture, and so I'm like, what happens when, and comic books used to be very deviant, right, they were outside of the norms, there was all sorts of, like, the kind of moral panics around what comics were doing to our kids. And now comics are essentially the biggest uh, entertainment industry in the entire world. So what happens when these norms start to change? What, what is it, you know, and there's, you know, so there's, I'm very interested in, um, yeah. So, I mean, also I think that like sometimes people do kind of coming full circle a little bit to back to like the difference between what people say and what they do. Sometimes people, Say something different than they do because they have an agenda that is to break the norm. For example, um, because it doesn't serve them, and they um, they're they're hoping to you know kind of push some sort of norm in a more productive area for them. Does that make sense? I feel it like does. Kind of yeah. Like, yeah. No, it does. Yeah. yeah. So that's I mean, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm, I'm very deeply interested in those those um, those areas, culture and deviance, and but in variety of different ways. And
0: now, and, and I don't want to again parallel deviance to your fellowship right now, but you are working with um, incarcerated inmates in California right now with an interesting program.
2: Yeah, so um, so I I applied to I uh, yeah like I was telling you guys before we started is is I'm I'm kind of interested in second chances. I definitely uh, ha- felt like I had a second chance in, to do school. I feel like. Um, like community colleges were like a big being able to just basically sign up and go to go to Mm -hmm. college, not having it was really, uh, it was like a blessing for me. Um, you don't have to do anything, do anything, but essentially pay. And in in Washington state, I didn't really even have to pay because they have, they have grants. And so second chances were really important to me. And, and I, um, was kind of inspired by a, a documentary that I watched a few years ago about the Bard college prison program, which is essentially like inmates, um, I think they can kind of be anywhere in the country uh, that apply to this. This it's a it's you know it's a very rigorous college program, and I was like, that sounds like something that I would be interested in doing because of the the kind of ideas of second chances and and um and so then there's a program at the UCSB uh, called I can gosh I can't remember Inter- interdisciplinary um, humanist the C, I don't know what the C stands for, but yeah, so it's a prison correspondence program where, um, you know, uh, incarcerated people that we call students, um, read, like they read um, to build a fire. This one that I read yesterday was, which was very good, good called Vesper flights. Um, and then they, they read these and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're tough. They're not like easy. And then they have to kind of answer these, um, critical questions and then um they send them to us and we kind of give provide them feedback and say this is what I think you could do better this is what I think you know you're I think this is what you're doing kind of give them you know, so that they can kind of see what it feels like to do you know college work college level level work um and yeah so I think that like you know my advisor once he t- once he told me uh you know once we decided that deviance was one of the things he's like I think you're going to fit Right in, in the deviance literature like i think that all the things that i that i am interested in second chances rap this 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 difference between you know how what you say versus how you act i am very interested in i mean deviance comes kind of with a like a weight you know what i mean it feels like we're talking about crime and criminals but um but the way that i think of it is a little bit different and um and you know and the literature is um you know, it's got some breadth, but it does basically deal in. Well, it's just
0: acting outside the norm, right? In yeah, a, in a way.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much yeah, how it I it see it. It yeah. doesn't have to be so far out to the right or
0: so far out to the left to be completely deviant, right? right?
2: Right, but so I mean, there but there's you know, as is true of any academic profession, there's all sorts of you know, um, debate and controversy about you know what is a norm, right? Once you say there's once you say something is normal versus something is not normal. Um, it creates categories that can, you know, have weight, you know, that stigmatizes a certain population versus another population. And so it's, it. there's, what's the, there's a term, I mean, I, I think that it's all interesting, um, but there's like a, there's like people have real, real um, fire about this. But there's like a, there's a, there's a saying that goes something like, um, academics uh, fight really hard because there's, very little to there's very little weight or something I can't remember there's you know like they they fight the hardest because there's the least to gain from it you know but um but yeah
1: the word deviant carries a pretty strong connotation also
2: yeah exactly I mean
1: you use that word and I think to myself you know that's pretty harsh
2: yeah I mean that's the I think that's why there's there, so there's a lot of so um so the, the the field of deviance kind of started in the like fifties and sixties with like a couple of guys, and it was you know and then this uh, this guy named Howard Becker who's a pretty accomplished um, sociologist um, put out a book called Outsiders and then his uh, you know it's the sociolo- the study of the study of social deviance or something like that and that was kind of it kind of like made um, a name for this specific area and then um, but then a lot it got a lot of pushback. know the 60s and 70s there was a lot of you know you know oh you're gonna call you know what the reason it got so uh, outsiders became so popular is because i think i think because he has a study on um, marijuana users marijuana spelled with an h which i find i still find kind of funny but um just kind of dates it but uh you know it's like you're gonna call you know and jazz musicians so it was like a study of jazz musicians and marijuana users and you know then people come back in the sixties and seventies when jazz music and marijuana is very prevalent, very popular, and you're just like, oh, you're going to call these people deviant. Well, what about the police that are, you know, brutalizing black people in the streets to, during civil rights? What about the government that is, um, you know, that's dropping bombs on bombs on Vietnam and secretly in Cambodia? These, you know, you're we're going to call jazz musicians and marijuana smokers that are doing very, very little, if any, kind of harm to anyone, deviant. Meanwhile, the government is going to get no blame. So there's this whole, there was this kind of like, uh, you know, right rightly so, there was this um, um, debate or this confrontation about who gets called deviant. But, um, you know, I have my own theories. I kind of wonder why um, the term outsiders wasn't used rather than deviance. But now deviants kind of got picked up and, and taken. I think that um, it kind of got lost in the minutia. But, and so, but deviance is now um, deviance, you know, then there's a whole there's there was a whole bunch of years essentially where they called it dead. The field was dead because um, the they had beaten to death the the that accusation of of deviance. Like you cannot you can't say that right because it's because it does carry such weight, right? Um, well, it, it's a
1: frightening term for a lot of people. It's a what? A frightening
2: term. Yeah, absolutely. For a absolutely. lot of people,
1: it's not it's not something that you would say to pay a compliment.
2: No, I think I mean so I'm writing my paper um right now and I think that one of the things that I'm waiting to read it in a piece of literature that I can find is it's accusational, right? So you say, Oh, you're deviant. That's you know, that's like that's different than saying, Oh, you're an outsider, right? You know, mm-hmm. I was read I was watching this documentary about Obama and, and in the in the documentary I kept hearing them call him an outsider. That's very different than calling Obama a deviant, right? Like that you know, so there's it's in that connotation it was actually kind of um Meant as like a positive thing, like he was this outsider, um, and it was more difficult for him to g- become an insider, and he had to navigate the you know the political system in a in a way that was different than most political you know um, politicians. So um, so yeah, there's a and so, but I think Becker was kind of doing that. Not to get too like academic-y here, but like I think that's what he was doing by cl- calling his book Outsiders um, was to say I think that there were, we need to look at norms, and there are people that that live outside of these norms and conventional society right jazz musicians the thing that was interesting about them is that they do not live on the nine to five schedule right and Mm -hmm. that that therefore they're outside of convention it was not necessarily that they were deviant right they weren't deviant in an accusational way of saying like oh these were bad people right and it was kind of the same thing was true of um, marijuana users but then there was like you know he uses other you know other uh you gotta remember this is like the 50s and 60s and there's very different claims to what is good and bad and how much we knew about like things like marijuana and stuff like that so
1: do you notice how people respond when you use the term deviant as part of your? you know i
2: I don't use it uh, i haven't really talked to anyone outside this is probably the first time that i've like talked to anybody that um that is not in my like field oh um but i will say that i can say this is there's like a good good story maybe good subjective here, but, um, sometimes you can get lost in the, you might know this as, you know, someone that was an academic or is an academic, but is, a. Uh, you have to be careful about the language you use in the field, right? I, in the, so in sociology, there's this whole, there's gender studies, right? Gender and sex studies and stuff. And, and the word queer is used often, right? In sociology to talk about queer studies and to talk about the queer community. And, and I feel, um, I don't feel uh, necessarily good about it, right? I don't, And I know that there's people in that community that don't feel good that it's so often used in sociology, right? And then if you were to use it outside of, uh, in like in this case, it's like you might find somebody be like, I can't believe that he just said that, right? But inside of sociology, it's actually quite, uh, it's prevalent. It's like not, it's, you know, it's normalized to use that because we know what it means. It means, you know, what well, it means is, variety of things but it's I kind of feel like it's the same sort of it has the same sort of weight right Um, and you would say that that community like is often claimed as deep or you know accused as deviant right and that's that community would kind of push back on being labeled in that way um, as deviant so so
0: why is it in this society why do we find it necessary to put a label to everything that's outside the norm
2: that's a good question what do you I mean what do you think
0: (laughs) Well, because I think people are uncomfortable with it, right? They don't. They don't know. I mean, I think it it goes back to their own fears, right? Their own uncomfortableness about about things. This is this is not what I believe. This is not how I feel. So I got to put a I got to put a label to it, right? Because I was thinking about, you know, going back to you working with incarcerated inmates and thinking they don't have a chance. I mean, even even the ones that are are working that don't have a high recidivism rate and, and things like that are actually trying to work so they don't go back to being incarcerated again. I just don't think society, and, and I, I give you huge credit because I also believe in second chances as well, but I don't think that these people get those second chances because you're immediately labeled, and, and whether you're labeled a deviant, you're, you're labeled a felon, you're related, you, you've been in prison, so on and so forth, Nobody's gonna trust you. Nobody wants to take a chance on you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's such a big, uh, it's like controversial. It's a controversial label. Um, yeah, I, th- I think some some people also use the term stigma. So that the, the two, like, you would say, oh, that there's a stigma attached to um, uh, being, you know, being a, a formerly incarcerated or incarcerated. And I think that you know, the sociologist in me is says, yes, there it, once you are labeled or once you've gone to jail or gone to prison um it's really 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 difficult um to you know to like get rid of that stigma and it's not even a stigma in that case it's a it's a it's a formalized institutional thing that follows you along and you can't get employment you you know if you had it's been
0: branded on your forehead
2: yeah and i mean but it also follows around your you know in your you know it's not just a I'm not, I'm not sure of the, even the language here, but like essentially if you have to say, that, I mean, like, so for example, when I applied to UCSB, I noticed um, that it was different than when I applied to Harvard. They don't ask you for um, criminal record, w- but at Harvard they did. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. It's like really, I mean, I mean and you know- kind Is that of,
0: a public versus private institutional thing or- No, they're is both it? public,
2: but one has, one, one is choosing- as an, on an institutional level to say, we're not going to ask you about this, right? We're not going to say, we're not going to use this as a a criteria for, um, you know, entrance into our program or into this institution, whereas Harvard does. I actually thought that was really fascinating when I saw it, because it made me feel uh, some sort of way about Harvard, because Harvard has this really high reputation, but to, to, to kind of negate um, people that have been incarcerated based on that, or, I mean, I guess I'm presuming that you would be, they would see that and say, oh, no, we can't take somebody like
1: that. It's hard to imagine that being a positive uh,
2: statement on (laughs) your application. Yes, (laughs) and I'm proud of it. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, some people I feel like would say that, right? Because, I mean, you can imagine someone that is like, you know, went to jail for something as silly as like marijuana for a long time, being like, um, you know, using that sort of label as like, I made it through this unjust system right and and, and you know you could kind of try and spin that um, there's all sorts of you know, ways but
0: yeah it's interesting I was thinking about this and, and you know you know I carry around the stigma myself I, I'm a depressed person mm. I have suffered two major bouts of depression and, and so on and so forth and and it, it was it, it was really hard to talk about it. Because you don't know, you want to say something to people because, you know, instead of putting on this act and and whether you want sympathy or empathy from them or, or just somebody to give you a hug, but you don't know how they're going to judge you
2: mm-hmm.
0: from it, right? Whether they're going to see you as some pariah or they're just going to see you as somebody I just don't know what to say to you. Yeah. Okay? So I walked around for, for a long time before I actually publicly said to friends, yeah, I'm actually being treated for depression. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, so, I mean, I think, so there's a, the the academic in me actually is, there's a stigma, I think, is actually much more um, common, like, way that we think about this. So there's, you know, and I think it's actually something that you you, you guys talk on this podcast is kind of, how do you how do you navigate life dealing everybody has something that they're holding on to something that they've been affected by something that they're dealing with right um, and sometimes it's more uh, obvious or more public than others and there, there's a book that's kind of that goes right alongside outsiders is called stigma it's by um, this guy named Goffman and he essentially the entire book is is like what is exactly what you talked about and then there's like levels to it if you have um, you know, a public scar or something like that, or you have a stutter or you have, so, you know, and he talks about what, what is it like for those types of people to go into rooms and have to kind of navigate what it is. And he, you know, and he calls, there's like difference between these people and the normals, as he calls them, quote unquote, normals. And and what is it like for for them to kind of navigate that space? And, um, and you know, there's like a certain sort of coming out if you like do it. I mean, that takes courage. I mean, it's, it's really... Um, difficult. But then once it's done, then there's also the reaction, right? Like there's the reaction of how people are going to treat you. I mean, so for me, like my, actually what I first started studying was mixed race identity. So I was very interested in, um, this is what got me into grad school. I was very interested in um, the uh, perspectives um, of people that identify as more than one race and publicly say so, right? So that I was one of those people and I always was um, kind of waiting for that moment to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, like, I identify as biracial, or I identify as mixed, and th- and it was always, for me, you know, growing up, it was really difficult, but then when I got older, it was actually more, and this is, kind of speaks to, like, my interest in how people are, but I was always interested in how they reacted to it, right? How did how did people react to it? Are they comfortable talking about race? Are they not? Um, but it was a stigma, for sure, because it didn't really matter to, for me, which space I was in, if it was, uh, it, it, I always felt most comfortable in like a multiracial space. Cause it was like, my dad's black, my mom's white. But if I was in a black space, I was definitely not like considered black, like, you know, like, cause I I'm, I'm kind of, um, if it's the summertime, I can kind of, uh, I look darker, but there's no, there's no scenario, even when I had like, when I had hair, where people were like, oh, you're black, you're like, you know, it's like Obama sometimes gets a hard time for um, not being black enough, but I'm not as black as Obama. Anyways, the point is, is that if I'm in a black space, I'm not considered black, and in a white space, I'm not considered white, and so I was always having to navigate, didn't matter which world I was in, that, and so it comes with a certain sort of stigma, it comes with a certain sort of uh, need to explain yourself, right, and so I think that that also is a reason why I was very interested in the things that I do, but
0: did, did you understand any of that growing up? Oh I mean, yeah, but you did.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Oh, How? How
2: um, well, time? my mom was really, uh, she was like very, um, if you know, she, she failed at a lot of things, but she was very um, race conscious. And mm-hmm. uh, so she was, so that was always a, a, a kind of conversation. And, um, and I just always kind of like, underst- I mean, it, I don't, I couldn't tell you like which age,
0: that it became. And they were probably, she was probably more conscious of it because at the time when she was with your father, right? It probably wasn't as widely accepted then as it is now. And so she was conscious of that fact for you.
2: Um, I um, think that, like, you know, I think there was a, a movement of, you know, interracial, like, acceptance in the 60s and 70s. But I don't think that there was a, um, I don't think there was a, a high level conversation about what it was going to be like for the interracial babies. Right. Like, you know, and so I think that that was, uh, and there's a lot of, I think, um, white parents with mixed race kids that, uh, didn't, they were just like, we love you because you are who you are. But that, that is, that's not good enough to navigate the complicated, you know, like streets of America, um, you know, like, especially because, uh, some like white people are not a monolith, black people are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be complicated ways that people react to the baby that you so love and think is beautiful. Right. And I mean, I think that when I think back on why, like why I knew that I, I can, I have conscious memories of, um, you know, it's, it's way less, it's it's just more. It was more obvious that uh, I was thinking differently about these things. Like I remember being in the halls of my middle school. It was like seventh grade, and um, this kid that I played basketball with. He was like, "You're really good at basketball." He's like, "You're really good at basketball." He's like, "You're not even black." And I was like, "Oh well, my dad's black." And he was like, "No, he's not." And I was like, "I was like, yes, he is. My dad's black." I was like, "I got black siblings," and he was like, "No," and he was you know black guy. And I remember being like, "Man, it's crazy." Like why am I having to defend myself? And it's because you don't look like a black guy. Well, so here you get the funny thing is that's see that that's like, that's a complicated uh, conversation because I used to have Afro. So like when I was, and when I was a kid, I had like these really curly hair. And like I said, if it was sunny, I brown up pretty easy. And what happens is you have, um, uh, I mean, not most white people don't, it's not something that typically happens with white people, but definitely happens with black people where black people will be like, you're black, aren't you? And I'll be like, yes, I am. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and then, so that's a conversation, that, uh, but white people don't, they, I mean, no offense, like, or anything, but that's usually the response that I get from white people. you know what I mean? Like, oh, you don't look, you don't look you black. Don't it's look like, black. well, I yeah. don't look black to you necessarily, but if we stood next to each other and then you gave your picture, this picture, picture to someone else, they'd be like, he, what's going on? What's going on with him over there? Well, so, I
0: only mentioned that because of, you know, teenagers just, Oh, yeah, that's true right that yeah, that yeah. was the only reason I mentioned yeah
2: that. i mean well so then i mean so then the next thing that i can remember is going to um you know with my sister who is black and going to a do a, a thing and um and uh so i can't remember what i don't even remember what like inspired her to say this but she was like you know you're black right And I was like, I was like, and I remember thinking to her, I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not like, I was like, I know that I'm like, you're my sister. Our dad is our dad. Like we, I know this, but I am, I do not have the same sort of experiences that you do. Right? Like we don't live in that same, we don't live in that same world. Right? Mm -hmm. I am not black like you are black. Right? Mm -hmm. And if I was just like, and now she was, she wasn't that much older. She's like six years older than me. So I I think I must've been like, she was probably like 17, 18 when she said that. But I was like, you know, 12 or 13. But I remember Mm -hmm. having a consciousness that was, I couldn't, like, I was like, it was bizarre to me that she was saying that to me, right? Because, like, if I was to say say that now, like, if I was to go into a room with, with black people and say... Oh, you know, I'm black, right? They'd be like, get the F out of here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, who is this dude? I mean, I've actually had that experience, right? Where I've been in a, like a, a black space where it was only meant for black people or or multiracial people. And, and people were like, oh, you look too white for this, right? Like, and, and that's a that's an experience that I don't think many people have had, but it's like a very interesting one to have had, right? And so some people, they want me to act or uh, own a blackness that I the, in certain circumstances, right, and then other times uh, they don't want me to, right, and so that is, uh, and those types of things. I mean, as a sociologist, right, those are things that I can dr- draw from, but they're all anecdotal, really. Well, I was going
0: to say that you suffer from racism from both sides, in a, in a way.
2: Well, I think that, like, it, I mean, you know, race, you know, as a sociologist, saying that um, people of color can experience racism is always complicated. It's like, or, it be, or I'm sorry, the other way around, if that white people can experience uh, racism is, is complicated because there's a, a, a very complicated power dynamic in the United States For versus, I would say it this way. Uh, I would say that there, um, I've definitely experienced racism, right? Like I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine named Larry, who was black, very black um, and <laughs> very black, you know, this blacker than I am. And, uh, and, and having a conversation about the first time someone called, called me the N word. And it was far before it was, he, he had had that experience and remembering being like, wow, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, but that, so those types of experiences are, are an interesting, um, one, but, but I have had experiences with, um, communities of color where they don't appreciate my mixed experience. Right. And And, and, that's
0: what I was, why I brought it up.
2: Yeah. And I think that that, that is, that's allowed me to be, um, more um, articulate than I think some, some people are um, in communities of color even. And they, you know, and, and I, you know, when I was thinking about doing this as a, as as an academic, the kind of book that I was going to write was going to be called choose because in a, in a, uh, you know, maybe someday in the future, I'm not interested really in a race scholarship at this point in my career, but like, but um, it's always felt no matter what dynamic I was in, that I was forced to choose it was always like you can't just be mixed you can't just be biracial it has to be one and or the even other even if yeah yeah even if you even if you say that and we accept it at some point in the relationship they're going to be like but you like you're black though right or you see yourself as black or you like it's like but you you know but like but you're but you're white you don't you don't look black like there's always a conversation uh that goes on in America that asks and like asks people to to choose usually if they're biracial i mean that just. that
0: goes back to the crux of this conversation about living outside the norm right because yeah you got to choose one or the other, right? right you you yeah. can't you can't you can't be on both sides of the fence.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's like that's a like a good insight. I think um Yeah, I think that's been my See, I didn't get out academic today. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying, right? I think I I like you just learn how to use better language or not better language. You just learn how to just use more words, but I actually think that some of the most important insights that I've had from uh, in life they don't come from academia, you know what I mean? It's like
1: Um, Uh, Do you mind my asking how how long were your parents together, or are they still together?
2: No, so that's complicated. But no, I so my uh, my I am a I am a child of wedlock, a child out of I was actually I was actually a a secret secret affair baby. So so. was I. Oh, Oh, nice. There you go. There we go. Yeah. So I I always when uh, so my my stepmom who was a lovely woman just passed away. But I used to say, you know, my dad and his wife. We're Married for you know 55 years, right? She's not my mother, and I'm 35. It's like, wait, wait if people could do the math. <laughs> the you civil, know? the like, math you know? doesn't add up on that, they're like, mm, what you know. And so, yeah, that was uh, you know, I think uh, so they were
1: never married to each other,
2: they were never married to each other. They had a they they had, I think, a, a salacious affair for a number of years on and off again, I think. And um, yeah, my my you know, it's like, um, yeah, he you know, you make. Make decisions that you make, you know. So it's a, uh, uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I know that family well, which is you know, which is a, uh, which is nice. You, Are
1: know? you included as a member of your dad's family?
2: Yeah, not nah, well. I mean, yes, but I will live with my mom, right? Yeah. And we lived yeah. in s- separate cities. But I'm very close with my oldest sister, and um, you know, so there was there was a relationship. They they only actually discovered that I existed when I was six. And so yeah. Wow. So yeah, they yeah. didn't even know. No, no. They they you know, it yeah, it's very, very um
1: Well yeah. we gotta hear the personal story for the academic stuff. Should
0: we erase the last fifty minutes and go yeah. back
2: and start over again? And now we're I still- mean it's a fun it's a funny story. I guess that they just found out, uh my sister, uh my my two sisters found out that they had a little, little brother and they um said we wanna go meet him and um wow forced my my dad to get in the car and drive from eugene to seattle and like just showed up at my door i'm five six years old right i remember just like opening the door in my like you know whatever snoopy pajamas and and like i knew who they were my it was never a secret oh, i knew okay. i knew they all existed but i had never met them i had met my dad i think maybe once or twice and oh, okay. and uh they came to the door and i just remember like opening the door and seeing him and looking at them and they were like look they were like hi where are you and i was like mom you know like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I i had no i it was like i didn't you know i was like, I was like baby you know um but yeah i i i have uh you know they're a complicated family my mom's has a complicated family uh was a complicated family and and um you know and, and uh i was essentially the outsider on both both in both of those families i think that's also part of it too i think that i never felt fully comfortable in either of those those families um and um I always think that I I asked questions that maybe no one really had the answer to. And that made me feel some sort of way as well. Right. Um, Yeah. I think, uh, I think that that was a complicated part of the way that, that I, even before I was a, even before I was an academic, I was just like, I had these questions, you know, that, you know, about because of the way that I was, I was uh, going to say,
1: you it, have a good reason to wonder why people do what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. <laughs> it's it's 100%. kind of ironic
0: where life leads you, right? So, yeah. I mean, if you if you look back to that time when you're five years old and open the door to where you are right now, right? There is
1: the same questions there. Yeah, same yeah, I, yeah. True,
2: true. I I think that <laughs> I think that I um, I think that I am uh, yeah. I have those same sorts of questions. I think that the difference now is that I don't have those same sorts of questions about race. And I think that's probably why I don't study race anymore. Um, right, And so I think, but I th- but what I've noticed is that people do that same sort of thing in a variety of different contexts. Right. So like, I mean, you know, we, we kind of talked about it earlier, but like I got into this new thing through astrology. Now, astrology is very weird and it's stigmatized. And um, you, but one of the things that I found, like I found astrology very late. I was like 31. Um, and I just like, had a curiosity about it I was curious about it so but I didn't I, I didn't care but what I found was when I brought it up people got real uncomfortable and so I was like what's that about and I, I so I, and I was so then I became more interested in it and the way in which people react to astrology it doesn't kind of matter is very they're very resistant to even talking about it and and then uh, then I would like have a conversation I'd be like okay let's just let's just be clear about this right You're being weird about astrology, but the normative religion in the world believes that there is a large white man in the sky that is, you know, and that's normal. In fact, to be the president of the United States, you essentially have to say that that's what you believe, even if you don't believe it. I actually believe that our current president does believe that they're like, you know, as a Catholic, he kind of does that. But I'm unsure, George Bush, Obama, (laughs) like, you know, but that, like, so we, so, uh, but so I was, so in that way, I'm like, why is this superstition over here that actually has to do with some sort of like natural phenomena on the planets is so much more stigmatized than this one over here that is kind of like, or all of these, to be frank. And I just found that very, very fascinating. Um, and so I use it as kind of the way to kind of think about, um, yeah, I mean, especially in academia, which is probably, we'll see how that works out for me may not work out for me because it's highly stigmatized in psychology as well as sociology. Um, and so, yeah, I, I am, so that's kind of where I go. I'm moving, moving now, but, um, yeah, why, why is one thing that you could kind of consider bizarre, um, more stigmatized than this other thing that is kind of in the same wheelhouse or same place? not considered as bizarre, right? It s- seems like it just has to do with, like, how many people are willing to fight for it. Um, and so that's, uh, yeah, so that's my kind of where I'm at. But, yeah, those the, that, you are right. It's very ironic how one thing leads to another. There certainly is, uh, once you get me talking, but, like, I can definitely <laughs> see these, like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's where that comes from. So,
0: <clears throat> where do you hope this journey in sociology is going to lead you, ultimately?
2: Um, you know, I think, uh, I hope... I mean, I would like to have a career. I bounced around enough now that I would like to, you know, I would like to just like read books and write about it and teach kids, you know, how to um, navigate a very complicated world. I actually think that I'm pretty good at it. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think I, I could add, I could add some value to, you know, the classroom and in, in whatever way, but I, I would like to have a career. I mean, it's, I know that sounds kind of like obvious, but like as somebody that's like almost getting to 40 and, and has never had a stable career. I mean, the most stable career I ever had was rap, right. Where it was like, I could count on, you know, doing another show and count on like, you know, but I wasn't getting paid very well. Um, and so, um, but, and uh, you know, it's, and academia is tough. It's a, dog-eat-dog dog world, where you're not promised a, a job. I think that if I, uh, I I chose, you know, this is maybe just part of my personality, but I chose the thing that I was more, more curious about rather than the thing that probably could have gotten me a job. I think that I probably, if I had done race scholarship, I probably would be a little bit more likely to to get um, hired. I guess it depends on what I do um, with this next, uh, this you know, how much I publish and how much attention I get and, and whether or not uh, you know astrology because that's what I look at Um, is accepted as a um as an okay field uh, to research u- using the methods that I have so
0: do you think you so. would have been as fulfilled if you would have followed the path to get a job versus the path of passion
2: well I'm following the path of passion for sure no I know that uh, but
0: but you had talked about that you could have followed Another path that may have guaranteed you better employment. Oh, right. And I'm asking if I'm asking the question if you thought hypothetically you had been as fulfilled, or it was better that you just followed your passion like you did. Oh, and, yeah. And hope it I leads to leads to where you want to go.
2: No, yeah. It's a good question. I, I think um I, I think that uh I think I was um I, I think I seek out trouble wherever I go. So uh, I think that um race scholarship is incredibly um it's incredibly important but there's a lot of people doing it. But I think that the the mixed race niche would is going to be sought after. And I think that I would have probably been a good candidate. But it is um it's a landmine field right now where it's like I think even the things that I'm saying here, even if I'm saying them articulately can get you into trouble. And um and I think that um but I think that that it would been it's more accepted I think to do that kind of troublesome to to navigate those troublesome waters um, because people want to talk about race it is still a, a very serious problem in this country that we need to kind of handle and deal with but um, and whereas astrology yeah you're, you're I'm out astrology and deviance right we talked about deviance is it's like an accusational word and so there's a lot of um there's People don't want to, you don't want to say that word. You don't want to, people don't want to talk about astrology. I'm putting myself out on a limb. Either it, it's like a risk reward. It's either it pays off incredibly well, or yeah, I I keep bouncing around this world looking for employment in other
0: ways. (laughs) Uh, So so ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to do exactly what you say.
2: Man, now that's a good question. I would say, yeah, that's funny because I spent like most of my time thinking about this conversation, like that question. I think that, um, I think that I am, I am, I try very, very, very hard to live a life of self-culture. I have a culture that I, I am accountable to myself and kind of no one else. I've, I've been through enough hard stuff to know that it hurts way more when I let myself down than when I let someone else down. Um, I mean, maybe that's not always true, but I think that like I just know that when I have to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, you know, and ask myself like, why did you do that? You know, th- you know uh, that I am. That hurts. Uh, that that's that's more difficult for me. So I try and discuss and say things as honestly as i possibly can and if i and if i can't say them honestly i will you know essentially kind of i don't even know how to say this essentially it's like you you kind of you don't skirt it but you say like i don't know like i, I think one of the first things that i ever learned uh, about how to to be honest and how to not do the thing where you say something and then do the other thing is to say I don't know. I can't answer that right now. So I think that that's, that's what I attempt to try and do, um, is to say like, I don't know. I can't tell you that right now. And, um, and live as close to my own, um, sometimes it's weird to say like live my own truth. I don't actually think that's helpful sometimes, but, but, um,
0: well, the world needs disruptors. We need people that tip the apple cart, even in academia. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for being here. It's a fascinating hour, Ian. Yeah, thanks
2: a lot for having me, you guys. I appreciate the All right. questions.
1: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time!